I'm not a big knife person, uh, but I do know we get attached sentimentally to things, and Brother Jay has lost a favorite knife, so if somebody just accidentally picked it up and thought, gee, what a nice Christmas gift this is, that, that's not a Christmas gift. That belongs to Brother Jay. And um, <clears throat> I had a little deal happen to me here a few couple weeks ago. I was, when I was going out to Sacramento, I flew out of the airport in Destin, and it was a very early morning flight. And I normally put my... This Mont Blanc is a pen Sister Patterson gave to me probably 23, 24 years ago now. And I normally put it in my backpack, but I put it in the um, container that slides through. Well, when it got to the other end, my pen was missing. And uh, I'm telling you, I went into a, I mean, it's just like, oh my goodness, this pen, you know, it's replaceable. Uh, but I've been have used it long enough now that it's got a sentimental value to it, and so I started panicking, talking to the TSA guys, and they did manage to find it. It had slipped over and had gotten into rollers, and uh, thank the Lord it didn't break it. Uh, but I, I do understand if you've got something that has sentimental value. So if you run across a pocket knife, uh, that is Brother Jay's, and uh, so I. Thought I would mention that to you again uh, here tonight. And uh, thank God for His Word. Uh, I would like for you to take your Bibles and look with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, these lessons, uh, I, I have sent out, I think, 1 and 4 and 5. <clears throat> and I'm missing 2 and 3. And the reason for that is, is because those notes were handwritten while... Uh, camp meeting was going on uh, because I did not have uh, my computer there. Uh, well, I, I had my computer. I just didn't have all my normal layout, so I wrote it down. So I'll try to get those put together and get those sent uh, to you. But I want to uh, <clears throat> share uh, some good things from the Word of the Lord uh, but there are going to be some things that I'm going to run across tonight that I'm sure uh, that will be convicting to you. Uh, I pray that they're convicting to you. They were convicting to me, and I don't want to keep all the conviction to myself, and so I'm going to share some of that with you. But let's look in Ephesians chapter 4, and I would like to start in verse 29. The Bible says there, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And I uh, did did slip my mind about our guests that are here with us. It's good to have Sister Ramsey uh, here with us tonight. And uh, I don't know how, how long she's going to be here with us, but she's always a good friendly face whenever she does uh, is here. And, uh, and the Lucases. Uh, they're not guests anymore. They're on site. And uh, Katie, I guess Katie's back somewhere. Um, but Katie is, is now here, so you boys leave her alone. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, I shouldn't have said that, but <clears throat> let's move on here. Uh, but let's, I want to spend some time tonight uh, on this part where uh, that Paul talks about uh, evil speaking and malice. And I did get into some of this last Wednesday night, but just kind of a, a brief review. Um, when, when you look at these words here, and uh, we pointed them out, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice, uh, it's kind of like a spiraling downward. And you look at that malice that's at the bottom, that's sort of the worst part 
uh, that that Paul mentions here. Now there is a, a similar verse reference over in Colossians chapter three uh, that Paul goes into. But when you look at what he's talking about in your spiritual life, if you remember what he said, he said that evil men will wax worse and worse. That means that sin has a cumulative effect where that it continues to get worse as time goes on. This verse here in verse 31 is a classic picture of that. Now, you've heard those statements before and, and again, uh, the Bible goes against modern humanistic or even old humanistic thinking. You may have heard this statement before. It says, well, somebody's got a problem with their self-esteem. They've got a problem with their self-worth. And, and there ought to be a part where we do somewhat feel good about ourselves. We have to balance that out, though, uh, with all the warnings that you find from Scripture. But when you look at the human condition, at every one of us here tonight, we have to realize that, just like Brother Patterson was preaching Sunday morning, that in our flesh there is nothing good that resides there. Uh, we, can, we, can, we can polish it up, we can dress it up, we can clean it up, we can put, as they used to say a long time ago, put smell good on and you can do all of that sort of thing, but it is not going to change the condition of a person's heart. Now, let's look. These are the words of the Lord, Mark chapter 7 and verse 15. Here's what Jesus has to say. He said, There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. And then skip down to verse 20. And Jesus continues, and he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth man. For, for, for from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Those are the words of our Lord. Now when you balance that out with all the psychology classes that I took whenever I was in nursing school 30-something years ago, that their thought was, was if you can make a person feel better about themselves then that's going to fix things. And yet the words of the Lord helps us to see that because of the sin factor, because of flesh, that there is nothing that is positive about, about our flesh. The only time that our flesh can be promoted in a way to say that it is good is when we have been regenerated or we have been redeemed and we have been born again that's whenever this human body begins to do, or human being begins to develop and has some value and some worth in it. And all of this, again, when you start talking about this, it goes so against the grain of what you hear. That's why that repentance ought to be something that Paul spoke of where he was talking about, he said, I die daily. Then those are things that we carry into our prayer life and then some of the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines, remember, the Lord said, when you pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, starts in, in chapter Matthew 6. And then he talks about fasting. I also believe that in Hebrews chapter 10, whenever he starts talking about us meeting together collectively in a corporate body to worship God, there's something that takes place by virtue of you being involved in that. And it's just like working out. And I drove by Southside Baptist Church. They got a great sign out there as you're coming south. And it said, it's hard to be spiritually fit when you only work out on Sunday. I'm going to say that again. That's almost scripture. It's hard to be spiritually healthy when you only work out on Sunday. 
And there is a part that if you're going to live a victorious Christian life, it's going to be something that you're going to be involved in in doing every day because this human being, this fleshly body, is going to react because Jesus said that unless we are not redeemed, then these evil things come out of us. Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, and there's a comparison, kind of a contrast that takes place. It says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth fruit that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And so if you want to know who somebody is, talk to them. Let them talk to you. And the more they talk to you, then the more you begin to understand who that person is and what that person is about. Now, and that is if they're being honest with you because there are times where people can get into a religious crowd and I've seen this, they can talk on Sunday, they can talk a great game on Sunday and then during the week there is a great disconnect that goes on between what happens on Sunday versus what takes place during the week. I want to be an authentic Christian saint, whatever you want to call it, so that if you catch me tomorrow, although I won't have my notes, but if you catch me tomorrow or you catch me Friday or sometime during the middle of the week, I'm going to be talking the same thing now then that I'm talking to you now. And, and, and again, that, that's, that's I, I believe again that in our homes, conversations ought to revolve around the word of God because our words are very telling about the, inner, about the condition of the inward spiritual man. And again, whenever we speak those things, ask yourself this, even more concerning, what is the nature of your prayer? Because prayer can have a lot, can tell you, give a lot of insight as to what's going on in my soul. Because if prayer is always craving and pulling toward me, help me with my plans, help me to take care of this, help me to accomplish that, Lord, bless me with this, and there's never any part that I would say is kingdom praying where that you begin to pray and, and I can't remember if it was Brother Wells or Brother Patterson recently mentioned that, but they got to talking about whenever you get to, the, it was Brother Jonathan, he did a fantastic job Sunday night preaching. And, uh, and whenever he was talking in Ephesians chapter 6, and he got to the end of that part. What was Paul praying for? Paul was praying that I want my words, my preaching, that whenever I preach in Ephesus, I want my words to be able to have an impact. He wrote, I believe, to the Corinthians. He said, let the word of God have free course. Let it flow. And so whenever you're praying, what kind of prayers are, are going on in your relationship with God, and that, that would tell us a whole lot. I think I use this kind of review. What if uh, somebody was to sit you down uh, at a table and put an open Bible in front of you and say, okay, and we're going to start turning these chapters here, and you tell me what you know about the Word of God. Now back up with me to it for a moment to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 and I used this a few weeks ago, but I want to reiterate it uh, to you again. Psalm 19, and let's look in verse 7. Now, verses 7, 8, and 9 is sort of a snapshot of the power of the, law, of, of the Word of God. And there's several different terms that it has for the Word of God. But look in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then notice what David writes in verse 10. He says, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Now you think with me for a moment. Let's think about Wall Street. Let's think about the dollar. Let's think about the Japanese yen. Let's think about the Chinese, whatever it is. Uh, let's think about the German mark. Let's think about all of the monetary systems in the world. This verse right here says that we are to desire the word of God more than all of the earning potential or the financial capabilities that this world has to know or has to offer. And when you look at the Bible and you tell somebody that, they'll look at you like you have flipped over in your chair and bumped your head real hard on the floor and they'll say, you've got to be kidding me. That I'm supposed to pursue this more. Now, I'm going to balance that out with the Proverbs. Okay, the Proverbs tells us that there needs to be a part of us that we plan for the future and that there's a part about, you know, making wise financial choices. But at the same time, what is driving our lives and our spirits? And it says right here, I need to desire this book more than gold, even fine gold, because it is sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Um, I'm going to hitch on to verse 11 and 12 and then move quick. Uh, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me, and then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgressions. What are presumptuous sins? Presumptuous sins are sins that you enter into knowingly that they are wrong before you go into it. And, 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 and it's, I will say that there's a pattern. People that constantly commit presumptuous sins will get to the place where they can no longer repent of that sin because there's such a pattern and a cycle that begins to develop in that person's heart that it's kind of like they're taking drugs. It takes more and more and more and more, and they get to a place where that that presumptuous sin, oh, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to repent, and then I'll do it again, and I'm going to repent. And what happens is, is there is a withdrawing presence of God that can move away from that person, and I believe that that's what Hebrews chapter 6 uh, is speaking of. But Paul cautions us in, in Ephesians 4. He says, I want you to pay attention to what you're saying because there can be very rotten and even spoiled words that come out of us. Now, this part about evil speaking, evil speaking is, is speaking slander against another individual. And the concept of slander, what is it to do? It's to wound or it is to tear down the reputation of somebody that you are talking about. And sometimes speech can be in a way where uh, that it is a, uh, a matter where that, that it, it works a lot of times with half-truths, but a half-truth is the same thing as a whole lie. And there can be times where people use words to speak slanderously to try to demean and to tear down another person's reputation. And, and one of the traps uh, that can be laid for those that will be a slanderer and to grieve the Spirit of God is for that person to be a busybody. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want you to look with me uh, to verse 11. This is very, very good advice. In fact, it's not good advice. I would just say it's a commandment. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, the Bible says there, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without 
and not that ye may have lack of nothing. Your name is a very valuable possession that you have. And it's important that you protect the name that you have. And so don't fall into the trap of being a busybody. A busybody is a tail bear, tail, T-A-L-E. They bear stories. They know bad things. And they seek out information. I had a friend of mine to recommend a book to me and I read it and it was so disturbing to me. Uh, I read it again. Uh, I'll tell you, tell you the title of the book. The title of the book was called All the King's Men, and it was written by a man by the name of Robert Penn Warren. And it's a fictional book, but it is a story about a real live man whose name was Huey Long. And Huey Long was the governor of Louisiana. And Huey Long was kind of an outsider. He was a he was a lack of a better, he was a redneck. And he was kind of against what they would say the hoi polloi or the upper echelon or whatever. And he was trying to get into politics. And the doors were closed. And so he got connected up, Huey Long, this is the real part. He got connected up with a newspaper editor down in New Orleans. And this was back in the 30s and the, and the 40s. In fact, he was going to run for president against Franklin Roosevelt, uh, but he ended up getting assassinated. He's the one that built the hospital, uh, LSU. He built Louisiana State University. Uh, he was responsible for building all of that. And uh, when you crawl, if you're going to New Orleans, or if you're going, not New Orleans, if you're going to bat, when you're on 12, when you connect in from 12 and you connect back into 10 on in Baton Rouge and you start over that big bridge that goes over uh, the Mississippi, and if you ever get stuck on that thing during rush hour and you're creeping along and your car stops and you're sitting there, you can feel that thing is wiggling and twitching. And you're like, oh, my Lord, this thing's going to fall in. Uh, but that bridge is a Huey P. Long bridge that was built over the Mississippi River there in Baton Rouge. But this is what Huey Long did. In the book, Robert Penn Warren, All the King's Men, talks about this. And this is what his, his thought was. His thought was this, is that if I can get somebody that knows bad things about these politicians, then I'm going to use that to my advantage. And so he hired a newspaper editor uh, that was working in New Orleans, and that guy just started in, I mean, from one end of the state to the other and started gathering up all sorts of material for Huey Long to use so that he could be voted in. And then, whenever those politicians, they got down to the time, y'all think, man, this is they do this all the time now. Uh, but back in the 30s and 40s, it was kind of a deal where it was not quite, I guess, to the extent that it is now. And he ended up using that part because he had a guy that was a busybody. He had a guy that, that could get information. And Paul says this, that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Now, some of you elders in here, you know what I, I'm going to say this is true, that the older you get that there are times where that you wish you could revert back to some of the innocence and some of the simplicity that you may have had whenever you were in your teens and in your 20s because as we age, we start looking at life and there's a part where you begin to see things. You've got to protect your mind. And so what are evil speakers? Evil speakers are busybodies and they get involved in the, in the affairs of people. And far too often, the more that we know, the more worrisome and troubling that things can become for us and it can be a snare that is laid in your path. I remember something Brother Booker said and he said it quite some time ago. He's talking to preachers. He said that whenever he was a young preacher, he said he wanted to know about absolutely everything that was going on in his church. 
And he said he figured out that I was just going to run him crazy. And so he finally told the Lord, Lord, don't let me know anything that's going on in this church except that you tell me what's going on. He said that was a huge relief that he had. I, I would just say that's good advice. Because whenever you're moving around trying to get into what they call muck raking, the more you rake the muck, the worse it smells. And the more you find out, and a lot of times, the more you find out, you can get jaded, you can get cynical. And I would just float this out here for parents. It's important for us as parents and even grandparents that we pay attention to what we say around our children and our grandchildren, especially when you're talking about the church or about spiritual leadership. There, there, are, there are massive amounts of people today that are lost because they heard a parent or they heard an elder or they heard somebody tearing down somebody in the church or tearing down the church itself. And so it's important, again, that Paul says that we do not allow ourselves to get involved in this matter of evil speaking. Now, John Jordan is a church historian, and he wrote about the distinct kinds and degrees of evil speaking. The worst kind is to spread lies of our own invention about others. The second a little bit less is to report things to their disadvantage and it may have some truth or it may have a little bit of half truth but we say it in such a way that it causes people to lose confidence in people and so forth. And then the lowest degree is to say of them that evil which we know to be true. So I would just say that there's times where there are even things that you may know that are fact. Be careful about letting that come out of your mouth because it can be very damaging to somebody's relationship with the Lord. That does not mean that we are to hide sin. And uh, I was... I was um, talking here the other day I, I noticed that as I get older some of the subjects that I preached about when I was younger I don't know maybe I preached them out of foolishness and um, I thought you know I'm getting a little old I may need to drag some of this stuff out and start preaching about it again for some of our younger people but I can remember we had a prominent missionary that came to our church and they were here and they preached on Sunday morning it was my turn to preach on Sunday night and I got up and preached a message about adultery. And um, I have preached over the years. I have preached about whenever prominent Christian people had some kind of moral crisis. I remember Ted Haggard. I preached a message about David and Bathsheba. And uh, then various other times. And in the last year here, a few months ago, prominent person... Uh, did got involved and it was national news you had to have your head in the sand if you didn't know what was going on and the reason I'm saying that here tonight is this is I need to preach these things for the sake of the younger men and younger women that are in this church I need to preach it for the sake of Nate and Justin and for Brother Champion and for Brother German and, and for Brother Chad's getting me an old man uh, but Brother John Paul, because whenever you, 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 there are certain things that are more prominent temptations to you when you are a younger person. And maybe that was some of the things, because when I was still working in the hospital, the hospital was a hotbed of immorality. And it was literally around me everywhere I looked that those things were taking place. That's why that scriptural preaching is important. Not entertaining preaching, but convicting preaching because what it does is it builds boundaries in our lives and helps us to live for the Lord. So, uh, again, the, uh, I got, in, got off on a rabbit trail with that. The lowest degree is to say of them that evil that we know to be true. So, be careful with the failures of others. 
be extremely careful with the failures of others and who all you report it to because it very well could be a time that you get to a point in your life that you fall to that very same temptation that that person fell to. Now, I'm going to ask you an honest question. Has anybody this week said to you what I just said to you in the last five minutes? Would you raise your hand if somebody has just talked to you like I talked to you here in the last five minutes? Nobody? Nobody's had any, any comp, nobody has said anything to you about the kind of content I just talked about in the last five minutes. That proves my point. That's why you need to come to church. Because when you come, thank you, Kayla, say that again louder. That's why whenever you come to church, there are things that you hear that causes you to say, I better back away from that. I better move away from this relationship. I better move away from this particular snare or this particular, this particular trap that may be laid out uh, in my life. Now, let's talk, get back to the lesson here. In this matter of slander or evil speaking, ask yourself these questions. Are these thoughts or actions going to affect the heart of God toward us? Now, we're concerned about my heart toward God but do you realize that whenever Paul comes along in verse 30, he says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God? That tells me right there that God's thoughts toward you and I can be affected. And so are these thoughts and actions going to affect the heart of God toward myself? Is it going to affect my spiritual relationship in prayer and devotion toward God with condemnation? What do I mean by that? I mean if there is knowledge or you speaking, evil speaking, and then you kneel down to pray, is there a matter of condemnation that's going to come into uh, your life? Will the Spirit be grieved over our failure to love the local church if we use slander against it? I want to emphasize to you here tonight, and the older I get, the more clarity that I see about this. Our church is part of the United Pentecostal Church. We are an organization. That organization does provide some boundaries and parameters for us doctrinally. It also helps us in the matter of global missions, and I would guess that's perhaps maybe the biggest because we can get involved in supporting global missionaries that we may not have normally been able to have the opportunity to work with. However, St. Louis is not, Brother Bernard is not my pastor. Joe Patterson is my pastor. And Donald Harrelson is, is one of my elders. And it's in this local church that it's here that salvation is worked out. It's here that some of the most powerful spiritual experiences that you will ever have in your life, if you'll, if you'll allow yourself, will happen right here. Now, that's not negating the fact about conferences and, 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 and various events that we go to. All of us have had the Lord to do great things in our lives. But the local church is the part where that my salvation is going to be greatly worked out. So that question is this, is will the Spirit be grieved over our failure to love the local church if we use slander? Will the words follow the actions of the comforter and be an encouragement and help to the church or will it be detrimental? Will the spirit which has led to the new birth, will it be grieved by these words? Will the purpose of the spirit which is to encourage and not to disrupt the building of the local body of believers, is it going to be hindered or helped? And will this slander or evil speech lead to dissension and lead to disunity? And those are important questions that we need to ask ourselves.
Now you see what I was talking about when I said I didn't want to keep all this conviction to myself. And yet, again, I want to be a saint of God. I want to be a child of God. And I don't want to do things that's going to grieve the spirit. And the story of Samson in the book of Judges, Judges 14, 15, and, and 16. In fact, let's turn to uh, Judges 15. This is the part that was a scary thing about, about, um, about Samson was that whenever Delilah talked to him, she said, Samson, the Philistines be upon you. And the Bible says that he decided he was going to jump up just like he had done as it says aforetime. But he wist not. He didn't even know that the spirit had left him. And that's where you and I have to be careful about our involvement in evil speaking because the spirit can get further and further and further away from us until there is a difficult thing that happens. Look at the end. I use this every time I do a class at our licensing seminar um, in the, I think it's in the general preaching um, session, and I use this every time. This is what I call the white spaces of the Bible. Look in 1520. The Bible says there, and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. And then 16.1, then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. Now, when you look at the white spaces of Scripture, you see the gap there between chapter end of 15 and the beginning of 16? In that small space right there is a 20-year time frame. And Samson had allowed himself to continue to entertain the world and to continue to entertain and open himself up to things it took 20 years, but he finally fell because it says, Then Samson went to Gaza and saw there a harlot and went in unto her. Now here's a question that I have. How long did, was that working in Samson's mind? The thought. If I go down there, it took 20 years, but he finally fell to that part and it is ever more crucial, my brothers and sisters, that we be sober and vigilant because the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And so when Paul is speaking of this, he's saying, make sure that you don't tear down and allow yourself to get into a place of evil speaking so that the local church does not have the ability to have an impact on your life. And, and here recently, Brother Patterson was telling a story, told a story the other night about the guy, hitchhiker, that got picked up and, and um, I guess being around here all these years, Brother Harold told me one time, he said, I'm going to tell you something, Brother Harrelson. He said, you stay around Dothan long enough, he said, you, you won't have to worry, you won't have to, he didn't say worry, but he said, you won't have to rely on Brother Patterson's stories. He said, you, you'll get some on your own. And I think that's probably the case with every pastor. The longer that you're in ministry, the more that you can begin to see the patterns and things that goes on. And it's just a matter of experience. Sometimes everybody's looking for a gift of the Spirit. Brother Patterson says that they don't need a gift of the Spirit. They need a gift of suspicion. And sometimes that's what I get. I get a gift of suspicion to say, you know what, that's not going to be healthy for that person because I know two or three more that walked in that same or similar path and it's created a calamity or a difficulty. And Paul was saying, make sure that you don't fall into the matter of evil speaking so that it tears down the work of a local church. Because I'm going to tell you, when you get to the other side and you've been redeemed, this little old piece of real estate right here, 1745 Coderry Road and 1516 East Cottonwood Road, 
used to be 1710 Cottonwood Road. 1710 Cottonwood Road, 1516 Cottonwood Road, 200 and something South St. Andrews and 1745 Coderry Road, that is the most important pieces of real estate in this entire world because it is here that the Lord has worked out my personal salvation and he's drawn me into things. He's helped me right here and it's a valuable place. So now let's look at the next part where Paul talks about this matter of malice. Malice has the essence of blasphemy. Now, it's not blasphemy against God, but it's blasphemy that is directed toward other people. And at the heart of malice, there is becoming a fixed or settled hatred that begins to work toward a matter of getting revenge. Now, keep this, keep this in mind. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Paul wrote that to the church at Rome. There's times where that you can get emotionally and even physically involved in a situation where that you want to go and lay your hands on that and you want to take out a sense of revenge and you want to do as Shakespeare said, you want your pound of flesh. You want to see that person suffer. You want to see that person go down. You want to see that particular person that offended you. You want something to happen to them. That's where malice begins to work. Now, the Bible, uh, it, it, it uses various, various analogies about the character of, of an individual. One in James chapter 3 verses 11 and 12 talks to us about bitter and sweet water and about the kinds of fruit that comes off of trees. You're not going to get uh, apples off of a persimmon tree. A persimmon tree is going to grow persimmons. And you, if you ever bump into a persimmon, talking about a person, that's a persimmon. You will immediately know, man, this person is bitter about something. And then the more you talk, and the more they get to talking themselves, then it starts coming out. And that's why he says in verse, right there, verse 31, he said, let all bitterness because if we pull out the bitterness, what happens if you continue to let bitterness work in your heart and in your spirit? It progresses to a place where it is malice. And we have to watch that because you can't have bitter and sweet water coming out of the same well, nor can you, you have two different kinds of fruit coming off of two different kinds of trees. Jesus also mentioned this in Matthew chapter 7. The author of malice is the devil. And he would greatly desire to infect every one of us with this kind of attitude so that it will ruin us. A few years ago, and somebody asked me about this yesterday, and so it's kind of real fresh on my mind. This has been more than, it's been more than, it's probably been at least 20 years ago now. Brother Patterson and I, on Saturday mornings, I, I would say that for until Sister Patterson got sick, uh, I, I would say that probably 45 out of 52 Saturdays, uh, he and I drove all over creation. And we'd go out and we'd see folks, and I've kind of mentioned some of that to you sometimes, kind of tongue-in-cheek, that there's sometimes we'd go see folks and we'd get back in the car and I'd say, won't you let me go in there and shoot them and then I'll shoot myself and we'll all be out of our misery. And I shouldn't have said that. Okay, that's evil speaking and slander. I shouldn't have said that, but anyway... Uh, sometimes on visitation, you kind of, you try to encourage and you try to help. Well, somebody got sick and there was somebody in this church who was related to them and wanted us to go and to see this individual. And so, so Brother Patterson was kind of hesitant, but I was like, I, don't, I didn't badger him, but I was like, well, we're we going to go see. Well, we'll get him next Saturday. Because Brother Patterson had dealt with them years before I ever come along. And so one day, we decided we'd go see this person. They'd been diagnosed with cancer, and uh, we got there, and, and the guy 
told us, he said, I appreciate you guys coming. He said, but I just want y'all to know. He said, my mama has been trying to shove her religion down my throat for 50 or 60 years. And he said, I wasn't interested then. He said, I ain't interested now. And so we're like, all right. So that's Brother Patterson was saving me from that conversation. Uh, but anyways, as time went on, then the person continued to get more sick and was in the hospital. And uh, so we went in on Saturday afternoon. I will never forget this as long as I live. And we knocked on the door. I was right behind Brother Patterson. And we eased, started easing in the door. And the person was facing the wall, turned around, looked over and saw me and Brother Patterson. And he said, I told you, I don't want to talk to y'all now. I don't want to talk to you ever. And turned over and so we just kind of eased out, closed the door. That was on a Saturday afternoon. Monday, that man died. I wonder if that person's attitude and spirit would be different now if we could pull them back and say, okay, we're going to let you redo. I got a feeling that there would be a drastic difference in the response. And here's the part that we have to pay attention to, saints, and even preachers, myself, is that we can get embroiled in situations and the enemy can start feeding the fire in that and can make you get more and more and more malice in your life that you are intent that say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some revenge. When the best thing to do is to do whatever, and I said this here a few weeks ago, right up here, this altar, this place is your best friend. It is your best friend. It's to pray and to speak to the Lord and to ask the Lord, Lord, help me to get these emotions and feelings out of my heart and spirit because if you don't, I'm going to self-destruct. And I promise you this, and I'm not going to get to it tonight because of time, but, well, maybe I will. The matter of forgiveness is that whenever you let that go, there is such a relief and such an ability of the Spirit of God to go in and heal things in our lives mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Not only does anger push malice in its intensity, but it's also driven by envy and hatred and resentment and slander. And again, I point out the progression that you see in that verse in verse 31 with those six terms that he mentions there. Now, how do we overcome these vices? Well, Paul doesn't leave us without instruction because here's what he says. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So the key element is forgiveness. And, and, and look at what he, he mentions here. He says, be kind and be tenderhearted. And then he says, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. But what did the Lord do for us? Okay, he forgave us. He, he, was, he was kind to us. He was tender-hearted, but he forgave. That's where that you walk the extra mile. And church, it can, I'm not telling you now, it's easy. Because there are things that happens to every one of us that I'll tell you what the enemy wants, wants to do. He wants us to get locked in on that. 
and get so absorbed and let our minds and spirits, it's almost like that, that we become um, um, obsessed with it. And when you become obsessed with it, you remember a couple weeks ago I talked about those spiritual gateways that you open up? They will block off the effectiveness that you have for the kingdom of God. And so here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you got to forgive. They begin with bitterness, they conclude with malice, but they can be completely removed from our life with a simple but very complex matter of forgiving and completely forgetting and then moving on with your life. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness. Forgiveness can be defined as the release of any expectation of debt to be repaid or even that we would think that some punishment would be directed toward the offender. Now here's the challenging part about forgiveness. We say, oh yeah, I forgive them, but I sure wish they'd lock them up and throw them in jail. <laughs> I, I forgive them, but I tell you what, I wish they'd break their sorry hip. I, we need to laugh right now, okay, because this was starting to get kind of deep here, all right? But, but sometimes we can, we can get, oh, we can, oh, yeah, yeah, I pray, I pray God blesses him with a broke neck. And you got to be careful about that. Because the Lord is wanting us to release them and let them go and not worry about any kind of debt are not worrying about any kind of punishment that's going to be meted out. In fact, why don't we turn over, I didn't have this reference, I think it's in Romans 13. I think it's Romans 13. Uh, let me find it. Um, uh, somebody help me. Oh, it's in, it's in verse. It's in chapter twelve. Uh, look at verse eighteen, twelve eighteen. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine; I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Now, my brothers and sisters, it is easy, I say, maybe, to tell somebody they're going to be healed or to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, or to be involved in these huge spiritual events and let the Lord work in our hearts. That's easy. What I just read to you in Romans 12, verses 18 through 21, that's challenging. And yet I will grant you this, that the people that you get involved with in this life, that have done these things, it'll blow your mind how spiritually powerful they are. I love Brother Griffin, and uh, <clears throat> I was telling Brother Champion before church tonight, that little announcement that Brother Anthony Mangan made about starting to back up, I, I told him, I said, it's kind of like this, it's kind of like you're a kid that you kind of kept up with some sports figure all these years and now they're retiring and you're like, you're sad. And so all these men that I've looked up to all my life, in fact, I was talking to my dad the other day, my dad's going to be 79 in December. Brother Patterson will be 86 in January. So these men that I've looked up to are elders and they're starting to get older and Brother Griffin is in that category Brother Enzi's in that category. I called Brother Keating here a few weeks ago, two, two weeks ago. Brother Keating is 75. 
All of these men have had great input into my life. But Brother Griffin, he had two sizable libraries. And in one of his libraries, he had about 10,000 books. And he got into a situation, and by no fault of his own, uh, he had some people to go after him. And he gave them that 10,000-volume library. I don't love boats. I don't love golf clubs. I don't love cars or stuff. But I will tell you, I love books. And I can't imagine having the books that I have right now and giving them to somebody who has tried to crush me. And then later on, Brother Griffin had another even bigger library. And he got caught up in another situation where he had some people to come after him. And he gave up that entire library. That is Romans 12, 18 through 21 being lived out. And yet when you talk to Brother Griffin, it's amazing. He lives in a room that's about like a hotel suite. It's a barn off of his brother's house. He's got about six or eight Bibles in there. He's got three or four old wore-out computers. He sits there and he talks, and every morning at 2 o'clock, between 2 o'clock and 3.30 in the morning, I'm going to get a sermon outline. And if I've got my phone on, it's going to ding and wake me up. It's like, oh, there's Brother Griffin. He's out. He's giving people sermon outlines, and he does that, sends it out every morning to about 100 preachers. And in that hundred, they forward it on to bunches of other people. But that's the kind of Christianity that I'm after now at this point in my life. I want to be able to get into a position to say I can forgive. But if you're going to get into a situation where you say you can forgive, you've got to have deep hurt You've got to have things walk into your life that you feel like, oh, dear God, this is killing me. I don't know that I'm going to be able to make it through this, Lord. This thing is potentially going to totally take me out spiritually. And yet the Lord is saying, let me, let me, let me deal. You forgive them. You let them go. You let forgiveness prevail. And in that matter of letting forgiveness work in your life, the power of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Ghost is able to help us to do the Lord's will. I want to pray for you. Oh, our Lord Jesus Christ, I feel the weight of your Word but I also feel the conviction of your spirit. And I know, Lord, that I'm standing in front of people, Lord, that are just like me. They have the desire, Lord, to go to heaven. And yet through the conflict and, and the difficulties and the challenges of life, there are situations that we run into. There are wicked, evil people that takes advantage of us and they harm us with their actions and their words. And Lord, those actions and those words, they, they hurt our souls deeply. But I ask you, Lord, tonight that you help every one of us to forgive Lord, as you forgave, to somehow, Lord, to, to know that through the cross and through all of the abuse that you went through, through that bitter cup, Lord, that you drank in our behalf, and then, Lord, the power of the resurrection. I pray, Lord, tonight, God, that while we may have, Lord, felt the fellowship of suffering, Help us, Jesus, to be able to forgive and to turn loose and to let people go, Lord, for our own spiritual well-being and health.
I pray, Lord, that on every person here tonight in this sanctuary. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we go, I want us to stand and I want you just to lift your hands to the Lord and I want you just to just worship the Lord here for just a minute. I know this is not the normal way we end on Wednesday nights, but would you just lift your hands, lift your voices to the Lord here tonight. Lord, I am thankful for your word. I'm thankful, Lord, for your goodness. I'm thankful, Lord, for the strength, God, that you bring, Lord, to us, God, through your word. I pray, Lord, tonight, God, the healing that you bring, Lord, to us. Lord, we're thankful for that. We're grateful for that. And I pray, Jesus, tonight, Lord, that there would just be a special blessing, God, of your anointing. Lord, on every person, God, in this sanctuary, Lord, help us, God, to go and to do good. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Well, that Wednesday night Bible study was heavy, but I feel like it was good and helpful, and I pray that the Lord helps you to walk out of here in the power of the Spirit, and I, I do. I want you to know, so you're valuable. You're valuable to the kingdom of God. And I know I mentioned that matter of self-worth and self-esteem, but the greatest value that every one of us have is to be in redeemed saints of God and members of an apostolic church. The Lord bless you. Friday night power supply, 7 o'clock. Bring somebody to church with you Sunday morning at 10.